Today I'm continuing a series that I started talking about Joseph from the Old Testament. I used 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to show that all of these things that were written about people in the Old Testament were for our example so that we could learn through them. And I'm telling you, the life of Joseph has just been a major influence in my life. There's a lot of things that parallel this. And I've brought out the point that you have to start with a dream. God is going to show you the positive things that He wants to do in your life because in between when He reveals that will to you and when you see it come to pass, there's going to be a lot of negative things happen. Not necessarily from the Lord, but just in life. There's a lot of negative things that happen. And it takes time for God to prepare us and to get us to a place to where we're usable. And during that period of time, this vision that God puts in your heart keeps you going. Proverbs chapter 29 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. You have to have a vision. You have to have a goal for your life. You got to pursue it. You got to make the right turns along the way. Your life is a product of your decisions that you make. And you got to make the right decisions. So we've already talked about all of that. And that was in Genesis chapter 37. Now we come to Genesis chapter 39, and this is where Joseph had been sold into slavery. And in Genesis chapter 39, and in verse 1, it says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. You know, that verse 2 is one of the most important verses that God has ever spoken to me. I think some people just pass over this and don't think about it. But look at the circumstances. Joseph had been raised in the house of Jacob or Israel. A super, super wealthy man. You could go back and spend a lot of time showing that how that Abraham passed all of his blessing down to Isaac. Isaac passed it down to Jacob. Jacob had... Uh, Twelve sons, many daughters. I mean, multitude of slaves, servants. He was very prosperous. He was very wealthy. And out of all of his children, Joseph was the favorite one. He had a coat of many colors. He was preferred above his brethren. He had been raised in the lap of luxury. He was very prosperous, very wealthy. And then his brothers sold him into slavery. So just in a matter of days... I mean, I don't know the exact timing, but let's just say one week. One week before this, he was wearing this coat of many colors, his favorite, the favorite son of his father, the favorite of all of the brethren. He stood to inherit more than anybody else. He was stinking, filthy, rich. Everything about him was good. And now here he is standing on an auction block. And the way that they sold slaves was they would take their clothes off and put these rags down beside them so that the buyer could see what he was buying. He wanted to see his good, whether he was healthy or not. So here's Joseph standing there stripped naked on an auction block, being sold as a slave. Here's Potiphar, this wealthy man. I'm sure he was wearing the fanciest robes. He probably had jewelry. He probably uh, had an entourage around him. Did you know in the natural, people would look at those two, Potiphar wearing all of the fancy clothes, Joseph standing there stripped naked. 
His brothers had stripped him of his coat of many colors, so all he had was his undergarments in the first place, and he had even been stripped of those. Here's a person being sold as a slave, stripped naked. Here's a man wearing all of the jewels and the finery. And God looks at him and says, Man, Joseph is a very prosperous man. I tell you what, that is powerful. God doesn't see things the way that we see things. And this is one of the reasons that we get into so much discouragement and so much despair and we have unbelief and all of these problems is because we don't think the way that God thinks. God doesn't evaluate you being a prosperous man or a woman based on the size of your house, your car, your clothes, your jewelry, the kind of car that you drive, and all of these things that the world evaluates prosperity by. That's not how God sees things. Here's God looking at a man who had just, he had lost his family. He had been lied about by his brothers. His father thought he was dead, had written him off as dead. And here's this man stripped naked, being sold as a slave. And God says, that's a prosperous man. I tell you what, that has ministered to me so much. I was raised in a very affluent situation. We weren't super wealthy. I mean, it's not, I don't guess people would have called us rich, but we were blessed. And, and I had all of this. I had, you know, when Jamie and I got married, I had $5,000 in the bank. I had a new car and all of these things. And man, I was dumber than a hammer. And I had been called to the ministry and I thought that to be called to the ministry and to live by faith, I had to get rid of all of these assets. And so the very first thing I did when Jamie and I got married, I went to the bank, I withdrew all of this cash, I put it into $100 bills, and I just gave it to people. <laughs> I stood at 7-Eleven stores, and as people came out, I'd hand somebody $100 bills. I gave away $5,000 in one day, just couldn't wait to get out there and be living by faith. How dumb can you get and still breathe? And you know what? For 13 years, Jamie and I nearly starved to death. I mean, we just struggled, struggled, struggled. And it wasn't God's fault. It was my fault. I was wrong. My heart was right, but my head was wrong. Anyway, my point is that during this time of poverty that was self-induced because of my own stupidity and my own mistakes, during this period of time, I never saw myself poor. I never saw myself poor. We never went to anybody and begged and asked for help. There was times, you know, actually, after all of this, after we got through it and after we began to prosper, uh, I remember Jamie's parents found out some of the hardships that we went through, and Jamie's dad got really mad at me and said, you should have asked. You should have let somebody know. They never had a clue that we were struggling financially because we never acted like it. We never talked like it. We never dropped hints. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that struggle financially, but they see themselves poor. I, during that time, I never saw myself poor. I saw myself prosperous. And I really believe that this is what was going on with Joseph. Joseph had these dreams from God. And he knew that someday he was going to be exalted in, in a place where his brothers would come and bow down to him. Even his father would come and bow down to him. And what he was seeing and experiencing at this time, standing there stripped naked, being auctioned off as a slave, that was contrary to everything he was believing for. And yet he had a word from God. 
and Joseph held on to that. I know some people think I may be reading things into this and that, oh no, Joseph went through a great depression and all of this. But the story that's recorded right here in Genesis chapter 39 is inconsistent with that. As you go on and read through this, the favor of God was on Joseph. And it was so obvious that other people saw it. In the very next verse, it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Let me just say to you that that kind of prosperity and blessing does not manifest itself in a person who's depressed, who's defeated, who's sitting there sucking his thumb, talking about how bad everything is going. You know, I deal with a lot, a lot of people. And I've had people come to me in desperate, dire situations. And often those people are just sitting here griping and complaining and saying it's not fair and they're depressed and they're negative and they see the worst side of everything. And I'm telling you, people with that attitude don't come out of their problems. For Joseph to prosper, for him to be exalted and promoted to be the head of Potiphar's house and given so much power that Potiphar didn't even know what assets he had, he didn't pay attention to anything. He had 100% total trust and confidence in Joseph. That doesn't happen when people are sitting there griping and complaining and licking their wounds and talking about how unfair it is and doing all of these kind of things. The way that Joseph prospered, the way that God flowed through him says volumes. It doesn't tell us exactly what Joseph was thinking, but his actions speak volumes. And this is one of the things that I've learned through Joseph. You know, when the Lord called me, when He changed my life, March the 23rd, 1968, the very first really positive thing that I saw happen was around 1980. It was 12 years later, and it was, that was just the beginning. I mean, probably, I could say it was 15 years or more before other people looking at me in my situation could have thought, well, you know what, maybe some of these things you're saying about God and what He's called you to do, maybe they are coming to pass. But it took a long period of time. And during that period of time, I can tell you that I sat there and I saw myself prosperous when I didn't have two pennies to rub together. When we were being evicted from houses, when we were going through hardship because we couldn't pay, did you know what? I still saw myself prosperous. I stood against the depression and the unbelief. And it was because, just like Joseph, God had planted a dream in my heart. And I didn't know how what I was going through at that moment could be reconciled with that dream, but just somehow I was able to look beyond the physical circumstances I was in. And that hope and that dream that God had placed in my heart enabled me to stay consistent through that period of time. I believe that's exactly what was going on with Joseph. Matter of fact, I use this story about Joseph to see and encourage myself when everything around me was looking negative. You know, I had this dream of reaching millions of people. And the very first thing I felt got led by God to do was to quit school, which immediately got me drafted and sent to Vietnam. And I sat in Vietnam and it looked like I was going to die. Then when I got out of Vietnam, I was led to leave the denomination that I was in and I started this little tiny church in Seagaville, Texas and the largest crowd we had outside of times that I gave food away and, and since bribed people to come in, the largest crowd we had was 12. 
and usually there was only five of us. My wife and me, my firstborn son who was less than a year old, and I had an assistant pastor and his wife. <laughs> that's, boy, that's weird to have an assistant pastor when you only have five or six people in the church. And then we would have another five or seven people that would come, and that was it. And we labored like that for two years. We had no income, and everything in the natural looked like, man, it's not going to work. And yet I just kept believing somehow because I had these words from God. Then we moved from there to Childress, Texas. And in Childress, Texas, I was renting a house. And, you know, during the time that I was renting this house, it had a large room on it that would seat 100 people, and that's where we held our church services. And we had about 50. Maybe 60 would have been the maximum we ever held. And I really had to have that house. We didn't have enough money to go rent a building, so I was just meeting in our house and yet I didn't have enough money to pay our rent. And I remember going to my landlord. He owned a photography business in Childress, Texas. And I went to him the very day that the rent was due. You know, here's something I would really suggest to some of you that may be having financial hardships. And that is don't avoid the people. If you don't have money for your rent, if you don't have money for a bill, go directly to them and let them know that you may be struggling, you're having problems, but you are going to get this paid. You are going to do it. And if people, not every person, but the majority of people, if you own, owe money to a landlord, if you go to them and are up front, they'll give you some mercy. They'll give you some grace. But it's when you avoid them and they, you just allow their imagination to run wild, they think that you're taking advantage of them. You can, you can stop that problem by just going directly to them. So the very day that I owed this money to my landlord, I went to him and I said, I'm sorry, I do not have this money, but I guarantee you I am going to get it paid. Uh, and so this man, he owned a photography studio, and he had a package deal with the high school he had shot all of their uh, photographs and he was supposed to be producing this package deal and the guy that developed pictures for him had quit. The boss was having to do it and run the business, take in, you know, people that were wanting them and their children, uh, pictures and things, and he just couldn't do it all. He had fallen behind and he was about to lose all of the money for this high school, uh, their pictures. And so he says, I'll let you work it off. He says, you owe me money. He says, I'll just let you work for me and I'll, I'll uh, pay you by paying your rent. And so anyway, I was in a position where I couldn't turn him down because I owed him the money. So I went in. It's a long story, but the reason I'm bringing this up is to say I was in a financial bind. I was struggling financially, but I never saw myself poor. And I, I knew that the blessing and the favor of God was on me. And so when I went into this man's business, I started blessing his business. I started speaking over it. And I hadn't got time to tell you everything that happened. But I mean, in two months' time, I got all of those pictures done for the entire high school. I saved this man's business. I brought him out of bankruptcy. And I turned out to be uh, better at developing these pictures than he was. And he had done that for over 20-something years. I mean, I did one thing. I'm not going to go into it, but I, I did something. He came and he says, you couldn't do this again if you tried. He says, I've been doing this for 26 years and only maybe once or twice in my life have I ever done something like this. And I took him into a back room and showed him about a hundred of those things. 
And he just threw his hands up and he said, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And the blessing and the favor of God was on me. And did you know in two months' time, that man offered me 50% of his business, an equal partnership if I would come in and work with him. And I had to turn him down because, no, I was called to the ministry. But I'm saying that I had the favor of God on me. And other people saw it. And it didn't happen accidentally. It happened because I was believing for it. I had promises from God. God told me that whatever I set my hand unto would prosper. And when I came into that business, I started believing. I prayed. I spoke blessings over that business. And that's the reason that within two months I was offered 50% of that. I don't know what that was worth, but it was worth, it was at least a $50,000 business. It might have been worth $100,000. But he offered me, in a sense, $25,000 or $50,000 partnership in this thing because of the favor of God that was on my life. And it didn't happen without my cooperation. I'm not saying it was me doing it. It was God's blessing, but I believed for it. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph right here. If you had been the favored son and wealthy and all of these things and then sold into slavery, the vast majority of people would have been pouting, would have been mad, angry at God, griping, complaining, moaning, sitting there sucking your thumb. You certainly wouldn't have been diligent and giving it everything you had. But Joseph, see, he still had faith in God. He was a prosperous man even when he was sold as a slave. You know, compared to what you and I are going through, it's nothing compared to what Joseph went through. Some of you may be going through hardships right now. Maybe things aren't working out financially. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe your job is at jeopardy. Maybe your health, you're struggling in your health. But man, it's nothing compared to what Joseph went through. And yet Joseph was able to believe that he was a prosperous man, even when he had nothing in the natural to show for it. If Joseph did it, you can do it. Remember those verses over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. It says, These things were written for our instruction, for our admonition, so that we could learn through them. If Joseph could still believe God, even when he was sold into slavery, if he could believe that he still was going to prosper, and someday he would be in an exalted position to where his brothers and his father would come and bow down to him. If he could believe it, and he didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, these examples, all of the things that we've got today, if he could do it with less, certainly we could still believe with more, with all of the benefits and all of the things that we have. Joseph didn't have access to somebody on television trying to encourage him and to say that these visions and dreams are still going to come to pass. He was totally isolated and by himself. And yet... Here some of us are, and we're just complaining. I'm telling you, you need to just grab hold of yourself. You need to stir yourself up. You need to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. 1 Samuel chapter 30, I believe it is, is where David was just moments away from being stoned to death by his own man. He had lost his wife, his children, his city was burned, and it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. If David could encourage himself in a situation like that, if Joseph could encourage himself when he was sold into slavery and everything in the natural looked completely contrary to what God had told him, if they could encourage themselves, 
You can encourage yourself. I can encourage myself. Man, I pray that you're getting this. Instead of this condemning you, this inspires me. This inspires me that, man, if Joseph did this, I can do this. I can still believe that I'm blessed of God even when things in the natural don't look like I'm blessed of God. I tell you, this is a key. It's not over till it's over. If you are going to really succeed, you are going to have to get to a place to where you can see yourself succeeding when everything in the natural looks contrary. I've shared a lot of my testimony with you about that. And you know what? That has brought me through times of hardship. I bet you it was at least one decade, two, probably two decades before anybody on the outside could see any visible effect of the things that God had spoken in my heart. But before others could see it, I saw it. I saw it in my heart. I saw that God was going to use me and that I was going to reach large numbers of people. But I mean, for nearly two decades, you couldn't have proven it by anything that was going on in my life. But I saw it. If you are going to see God use you, you are going to have to look beyond your physical circumstances and see things by faith. Do you know right now we're in a circumstance where most of you have heard me talk about this, that we have a, a property up in Woodland Park, Colorado, where we're building our Karis Bible College campus. We've already spent $32 million on acquiring the property, all of the infrastructure, and building the first building. We're now 60% through with our second building. Altogether, I have spent in six years about $50 million above and beyond our normal expenses. I mean, it's miraculous. But did you know that over Christmas, we ran into a situation where we just had put out so much money on this construction that we weren't able to pay our normal bills, payroll and things like this. And rather than make people uh, who we owed money to, our employees and some of our vendors and things like that, rather than not pay them, which I, boy, am just adamant that we pay everybody the day that something is due. I had a check run. We were $1.9 million short. And because of that, uh, I actually had to use a line of credit that our bank has extended to us to cover those checks. But I refuse to run this ministry on credit. And so I have completely shut down all of the construction that's going on this building. Now, I don't know how long it's going to take me to pay back this $1.9 million. It was actually $2 million line of credit that we drew down, but I'm going to pay it back in a week, two weeks, a month, whatever it takes, and I'm going to pay it back, and then I'm going to build up a reserve so that we won't be, you know, right on the verge and all of this. So anyway, the reason I say all of these things is to say that, you know what, in the natural right now, I've had to stop construction. The first time in six years that I've had to stop construction, we have been putting out money on a monthly basis for six years, and we've built $50 million worth of stuff. I still have about another $20 million to go to get this building finished. And you know what? I could sit here and in the natural, I could be looking at it and think, oh, God. Uh, you know, this is terrible, and I could be looking at all of the effort that it's going to take to restart the construction. You know, people just can't, they aren't just sitting there waiting on me to give the word. Some of them will go get other jobs, and it may take a while for me to get these 
subs back and to do all of these kind of things. I could sit here and look at all of the negatives and talk about all of this and I could be discouraged. But you know what? I can truthfully say there is not one ounce of discouragement in me. I mean, I just look at it this way. We've already spent $50 million in six years above my normal expenses, which are close to $3 million a month. And on top of all of that, I've spent $50 million. How can I look back and see that God has brought us this far and He's not going to continue and bring us the rest of the way? I am totally encouraged. And so there's negative things in my life, just like there was negative things in Joseph's life. Here he was being sold into slavery, but he had a word from God. And I believe he was still encouraged and he was still operating in faith. You can see that by the, his attitude, the things that happen. I can tell you that that's happening with me. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how long it's going to take, but you just hide and watch. We will get everything done that God has told me to do. I believe that with all of my heart. This is not an appeal for anything. I'm just telling you right now that this is something I'm walking through and examples just like this. Joseph was the blessed of the Lord. But if you didn't have any faith in the word that was given unto him, if you weren't looking into the future, if you were just evaluating things by what it was like at that exact moment in the natural, he didn't look like he was the blessed of the Lord. He didn't look like he's a prosperous man. But the Bible says that he was a prosperous man and, the, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. You may be in a situation where you're working for somebody else. You may be in a situation where things don't look good right now. But can you look past that and see the dream that God has put in your heart? Can you walk by faith or are you just going to walk by sight? Everybody wants to talk about faith, but faith is the ability to see things with your heart that you can't see with your physical eyes. You need to see yourself prosperous. You need to see your marriage working. You need to see your body healed. You need to see these things coming to pass. In verse 3 it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Boy, I like that. You know, God has given us the promises in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that he would bless the work of our hands. Whatever you set your hand unto will prosper. I've actually told people before that if you hire me, if you let me do something, I said you will be blessed because of it. Some people look at that as arrogance. And it could be arrogance. A person could say things like that, but I'm not saying it arrogantly. I'm saying it because it's what I believe. I believe that the blessing of God is on me. I'm like a cork. You take me to the bottom of the lake and I will rise again. The blessing of God is on me and I know it. And because of it, I believe that I'm going to prosper. I don't care what happens. I don't care about, you know, if we had to shut construction down for a brief period of time, it's just a delay at the very worst. It's not going to last. I'm blessed. And I guarantee you the blessing of God is going to continue to manifest itself in my life. I believe that. Joseph believed it. And so it says in verse 4, And Joseph found grace in his sight. Talking about his master, the Potiphar, the Egyptian. And he served him and made him overseer over his house. And all that he did, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in his house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught that he had save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. 
Boy, this is amazing. Here's a slave that, you know, it, in most people's mindset, you couldn't be a slave if there wasn't something wrong with you, if you weren't inferior or something like that. And yet this man saw the favor of God on Joseph to such a degree that he put everything he had. He was a very wealthy man and he put all of his finances, all of his dealings, all of his transactions, all of his servants, everything under the hand of Joseph. I guarantee you, you do not do that unless you see and have faith in a person that this is a person of character, a person of integrity, and I can guarantee you, Joseph, would, that would not have been seen in him if he would have been just griping and complaining and talking about, woe is me, look how bad my situation is. I'm saying this, brothers and sisters, we're trying to learn lessons from Joseph. And one of the lessons that we all need to learn, it has impacted me and I'm praying that it's impacting you, is that even though you may have things in your life that are contrary to what God has spoken to you, what you believe God's will for you is, you are going to have to get over it. And you are going to have to just start being faithful wherever you are. You know, in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus gave this parable about the unjust steward. And then He said, He that is faithful in least is faithful in much. If you haven't been faithful in another man's, who's going to give unto you your own riches? And there are some of you that right now are struggling but you're working for somebody else and you aren't giving them a full day's wage. You aren't doing things with excellence. There are some of you that, you know, if you're supposed to be there at 8 o'clock, you get there at 8.05. If you're supposed to leave at 5 o'clock, you leave at uh, 4.55. You take 5 or 10 minutes on either side. When you have a break for 10 minutes, you'll, you'll take your break and then go to the restroom and get another 5 minutes. You will sit there and take... Uh, you know, pencils and pens and things like this. And I know some of you think, well, those are small things. But I can guarantee you, people who prosper like Joseph and stuff, it's because they do everything that they do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Let me read this passage to you from Ephesians chapter 6. This is talking about slaves, how they're supposed to serve their master. And of course, in this time, this was actual talking about actual slavery. Today, we don't have slavery in our culture like what was talking about here in the Bible, but we still have a servant and like an employer and employee type of relationship. And here's some of the admonitions that Paul gave to the people in Ephesus under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free." This is saying that we need to do things with all of our heart as if we are serving Christ and not eye service as man pleasers. What this is talking about is you don't just work hard when the boss is looking. You work hard when the boss isn't looking. You do it as unto the Lord. And whether people ever recognize you or not, don't worry about it. You trust God. God will recognize you. It says whatever good thing you do, you will receive from the Lord whether he be bond or free. 
I'm telling you, I've seen this work out in my life. I've seen people bless me because I was working hard as unto the Lord, not unto that man. I'm convinced that if you took me and if some reason everything changed and if I had to go get a job at McDonald's, I guarantee you I'd work harder than anybody else. I'd give them 120% of my effort. I would work so hard and I can guarantee you within a short period of time I'd be running that McDonald's. I'd be managing it. I'd become the owner. I would prosper. Not because of me, but because of God's favor on me. But in order for that favor to be manifest, it says over here in Genesis chapter 39 that Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph. He wasn't just told this. It's something he observed because Joseph was operating in excellence and doing everything he did with all of his heart. Let me just ask you, is that the way that your boss sees you? Does your boss see you coming in late, leaving early, taking extra time for breaks? Does your boss see you taking, you know, pens and pencils and paper clips and things home? I know some of you think those are small things, but it, it adds up. Do you know right now we have just under 500 employees worldwide? And I certainly don't know every single one of our employees, and I don't know everything that's going on, but I observe attitudes. And there has been times in the past that, you know, somebody who was in a, a management position, a supervisor position moved on and it was time to bring somebody up. And so they asked me, and you know what? I have opinions. And there's been times that they've asked me, well, what do you think about this person taking over? And I said, nope. And I just observe that, you know what? They're, they're slothful in some things. And you may, you may think, well, that's not fair. That's not, no, it is fair. You deal with a person, and I don't want to promote a bad attitude. I don't want to promote somebody who comes in five minutes late and leaves five minutes early and things like this. I don't want to promote that kind of attitude, and I don't want to put them into a leadership position where that same attitude will be passed down through the rest of things. You may not realize it, but your superiors over you, they are paying attention, and if you give your all, if you do it like it says over here in Ephesians chapter 6, not with eye service as man pleasers, but if you do it as unto the Lord, people will notice. They will notice. You know, I had a situation where there was a woman in a hospital room and she was, she was just desperate and out of desperation she saw my program, heard some teaching. She checked herself out of the hospital. She got a taxi, and I mean the doctors told her, you can't do this, you're dying. She was terminal, and she checked herself out against their wishes, got a taxi, came to the meeting, and came forward and got born again. She wasn't even born again, and yet she got so touched. She came, she got born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and anyway, over a year's time or something like this, she just began to grow in the Lord and began to prosper. She got totally healed. She had a job. And the next time I came to town, this woman wanted to uh, skip out on her job and come to the meeting, but instead she felt obligated. She was doing things with excellence to that employer. So she went to her job on Friday morning and her employer called her in and said, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't even like you. He wasn't a Christian and he took uh, issue with her Christianity and the way she was living it and proclaiming it on her job. And he said, I don't even like you, but I'm giving you a raise of $200 a month, $2,400 a year. And while he was talking to her, 
uh, she says, I know why you're promoting me because I'm blessed of God and your business is blessed and because I'm here. And she was saying these exact same things as I'm saying. And did you know that while her boss was talking to her, he says, I'm going to give you another $200 a month raise from his account, not from his superiors, but out of his account. So anyway, she got a total of $4,800 a year raise just because she was faithful. The blessing of God was upon her. Man, I think that's awesome. Did you know what? If, if you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, what's happening here with Joseph should happen to every born-again believer. If you're working for somebody, man, you ought to be blessing that business. You ought to be working with excellence, not as eye service, as man-pleasers, but doing it from your heart. And I guarantee you, God will reward you. You know, the COO of our ministry He's now got his own corporations and he's got over 1,200 employees in another thing besides my ministry that he's running here. But at one time, he was working for a man. He came up with these ideas and his boss took his ideas and took credit for it. And because of it, he got promotions and he got bonuses. And Paul Milligan, the man who's my COO, rather than gripe, rather than complain, he just decided, I am going to continue. I'm going to do this as unto the Lord. And if my boss takes credit for it, so be it. I'm going to make him the most successful person. And he did that for a couple of years. And finally, the, the boss that was over his boss came to him and asked him, says, are you the one that came up with this idea and this idea and this idea? And he said, yes. And he said, we thought so. He says, your boss isn't smart enough to do this. And we started looking and found out it was you. And they promoted him above his boss and gave him the control over that. And it took a couple of years, but you know what? It's just like Ephesians chapter 6 says. If you will do things with your whole heart as unto the Lord and not unto man, that good thing that you've done, you will receive regardless of who you are. Whether you are the lowest person on the totem pole, whether you are the least paid and least recognized person, it will eventually come to, to the top. It'll be recognized. But the sad thing is, many Christians, when they aren't treated properly, when something doesn't go right, they just sit there and sulk. They quit doing service. They are actually doing it just for the recognition of people. And if that person passes over them, they think, what's the use? You should be doing it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. And if you would get that attitude, the attitude that Joseph had right here, I guarantee you, you'd get the same results that Joseph got. Let me drop down to verse 8. Even though he was faithful and he had been promoted and he started out as the lowest paid slave, I don't know, I don't guess you pay slaves, but the lowest slave on the rung, on the ladder, the lowest seniority, he got promoted and he ruled Potiphar's house. But... Satan didn't just roll over and let this happen. This is another thing that you're going to learn through Joseph and through other people is that just because God starts blessing you and you can see some manifestation of the power and the blessing of God, Satan is going to fight you to the end. And you can't just seek the Lord in spurts and because things start to improve, let up. You've got to stay diligent because Satan is as a roaring lion. He's going about seeking whom he may devour. And you can't ever just coast. It's like flying in a plane. You can't ever just cut the power off and expect to get there. You're going to start sinking the moment you do. Satan is going to come against you. 
So here's Joseph. He had been faithful. It doesn't tell us what period of time, but I would suspect it was a year or years. And he had been faithful, but it says in verse 8, or excuse me, it says in verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that the master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in his house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Man, that's powerful. Again, this is an insight into Joseph and what made him the person that he was, the way that God could use him and bless him. He felt a commitment to Potiphar, even though Potiphar would have never known about this. Boy, I pray that you're getting some of the things I'm saying right here because our society today, our ethics are totally dependent upon what everybody else is doing, what is the norm. We've departed so far from serving God and and obeying God that, you know, the average Christian, they just kind of look in society, take an average, and they just try and be average. They aren't as bad as the terrible ungodly. They may not be as good as the very best, just as long as they're average. That's kind of the way most people think. They get their sense of morality from what the nation is doing. You know, this program is heard all around the world. And so some of you may not have this perspective, but in the United States, the United States Supreme Court just legalized gay marriage and said basically that it's okay, it's not immoral anymore. And there's amazing how many Christians just go along with whatever said. If they were to legalize murder, if they were to legalize adultery and having multiple wives or bestiality, there's a lot of Christians that would just go along with it. They do not get their standard of right and wrong from God and from His Word. But that is totally wrong. Did you know Joseph could have rationalized this and have thought, you know what? I was a slave. I've been denied all of these things. I was sold into slavery. No, who's going to tell on me? The master's wife wasn't going to tell on him because she would have been involved in this adultery and it would have been her own neck on the line. He could have rationalized this and thought, nobody's going to know. Therefore, in the eyes of a lot of people, if you can get by with it, then it's not wrong. You know, I read a thing in Reader's Digest where they actually put a billfold on the sidewalk, put $100 in it. They put in contact information, address, telephone number, all that kind of stuff. And they did this as a test to see what the morality of the American public would be. And so they put this billfold with $100 in it on the sidewalk. And then they hid and they watched to see what people did. And they, I forget the exact figures now, but it was over 50%. It was somewhere around 60 or 70% of the people picked up the billfold, looked at it. They saw all of the contact information, but then they would look around. And if they couldn't see anybody, if they thought nobody was watching, they would just take the money and throw the billfold back down. And after Reader's Digest did this, they were watching when the person took the money and just started to walk off. Then they would come and they'd stop them and they said, we put this there. This was a test. You had contact information in there. Why didn't you seek to return the money? 
And without exception, the people would just say, well, I didn't think anybody was watching. I didn't realize that anybody would know. And so basically, since they wouldn't get caught, that meant that it was okay. That's wrong. Just because a society changes and legalizes gay marriage and says that bestiality is okay and starts saying that it, you don't have to be faithful to your wife and because that's the way the movies portray it and television and on and on, that should not affect your standard of what's right and wrong. You ought to have an absolute standard. See, you need to do things as unto the Lord. And this is one of the characteristics of Joseph. Joseph felt a, a commitment to his master. His master trusted him. And because of that, he wasn't going to break that trust. I tell you, people don't understand how important people's trust is with you. There's people that will do things behind the scenes and, and violate people's trust because they think they can get by with it. But you should never do that. You know, I had people come to me who I won't mention this other minister's name, but they had written a letter for another well-known minister and, and got him $22 million off of that one letter that they sent to his mailing list. Now, my ministry was a lot smaller at that time, and they, they couldn't guarantee me $22 million, but they said, we will guarantee you $1 million if you'll let us send out this letter, if you'll buy our services and send out this letter. And I read the letter because, man, I could have sure used a million dollars. So I read it to see what they were saying. And they were saying I had orphanages. They had pictures of babies with swollen bellies and, you know, uh, flies on their face and stuff and saying that I had done all these things. And I said, but those things are not true. And they said it wasn't true about this other ministry you wrote it for, but it still got them money. It says it doesn't matter how you get it. You just take it and then you use it however you want to. But this will get you money. And I said, no, I kicked these people out of my office. I said, I'm not going to violate this. You know, one, one of the reasons that we do prosper is because I have gone out of my way to never cry wolf to our partners. Man, my partners trust that if I say we're in a situation we need some money, they believe me because I don't sit there and I don't lie to them. I'm candid about it. You know, I went to another major ministry, a television ministry, and a guy took me into a room. It was a huge room. And they had letters stacked up to the ceiling. And I said, what are these? And he said, these are our crisis letters for three years in advance. They hadn't had the crisis yet. There was no crisis, but they had written it and they justified it by saying, if we don't send out these letters and proclaim that there's a crisis, then we're going to have it. And so they just tried and cut it off and they proclaimed, they made up these crises and that's how they raised money. And because of this, people have gotten to where they don't trust a lot of media ministers because they know that they will manipulate and lie and, and twist things in order to get money out of people. I'm telling you, you can't do stuff like that. Joseph would not break the trust that he had with Potiphar. And here's the real kicker. Here's the main thing. After he had mentioned all of these things about how Potiphar had trusted him and all of this, he said, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God. Even though he took into account Potiphar and he had to be faithful to his master and all those kind of things, and that's a part of it, the bottom line has to be that you are doing things to God and not to man. You are not a man pleaser. You aren't just doing things and, and seeing what you can get by with. You are going to serve God faithfully.
You know, I spoke in a school in Kansas City one time, had over 500 children in this school. And while I was waiting to speak, they gave me some brochures, pamphlets about this school. And the main thing that they were advertising was positive peer pressure. And they were saying that because it was a Christian school that the children were pressured by their peers to seek God, to pray, to study the Word, to do this. And they were advertising positive peer pressure. And I understand to a degree, parenting is hard. And sometimes you want to use everything possible. And man, if you could put your kids in a place where everybody's loving God and that's a positive peer pressure, then I'm not saying that I wouldn't do something like that. But I think at its core, that's still the wrong thing because you're still training your children to respond to what everybody else is doing. Something even better than positive peer pressure is personal relationship with God to where the, the kid is responsible to God and aware that God is evaluating everything regardless of what anybody else does. If you were training your children to just go with the flow, what would happen if you put them in a situation where everything is ungodly around them? Like in my situation, I was raised in a Christian home. I had Christian friends and everything was good. But then I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And I guarantee you, in Vietnam, man, people were doing things that they would have never have done in the States because they would have been embarrassed. They would have been uh, exposed. Their friends, their family would have known about it. But in Vietnam, nobody was ever going to find out about the stuff that you did. You know, we had a stand down every 90 days is what they call it. And you'd go back to the rear area and they would bring the troops out of the field and they would put them in this rear area on the beach. In my division, it was Chu Lai, Vietnam. And they would give you free booze and they would bring in these showgirls who technically it was a, it was a musical show, but the truth was they were all prostitutes. And they'd bring in these girls and they'd give you all the free sex and the booze for three days that you could handle. And in my uh, company, there was 200 people. And as far as I know, I am the only person out of 200 that didn't participate. Now, the peer pressure over there was all bad. And even I was a chaplain's assistant. One of my chaplains actually got drunk and got up on the stage and tried to have sex with one of the showgirls and stuff. And so... I was the only person out of this whole group that wasn't participating. And I tell you, there was peer pressure. I remember standing outside in the dark on the beach, watching everybody else inside with this show going on. And it was just like a magnet drawing me. And I was thinking, man, everybody else is in there having this great time and stuff. And it, it was a pressure on me. But you know what kept me from doing it? Is not, it wasn't because I couldn't have gotten away with it. I could have participated in that and come home and just have never told anybody. You know, this is just andeology. This is my own personal opinion. I know that a lot of people will disagree with this. But I think that a lot of PTSD isn't just the torments of war and the physical things about seeing people maimed and stuff like that. But in war, the typical soldier indulges in stuff just like what I was describing, you know, with prostitutes, dope, alcohol. They do things. 
that they would have never have done back in the world where they were accountable to a husband or a wife or a family, father or mother or sister or brother or friends. And they do stuff that just is eating them up on the inside and they come home and they, they may talk about the battle and about these things. And again, that's part of it. But I think that there's a lot of guilt over all the things that were done. I actually went through Vietnam with a guy who we were raised together. We grew up in the same church. We only lived just a few blocks apart from each other. We weren't best friends, but we had known each other our entire life. And we went through Vietnam together. And this guy, even though we were raised in the same church, went to the same church, he had the same background, he submitted to that stuff. And to this day, this guy's still messed up wearing his boonie hat and still doing, I mean, he's just reliving Vietnam 40, 50 years later, whatever it is. And I can guarantee you a large part of it is because of the immoral stuff that he got into. This is so powerful right here. Joseph couldn't have been caught. The wife wouldn't have squealed on him. He could have justified it. Well, I was unjustly treated here. I deserve this. You know, Joseph was 17 years old in Genesis chapter seven, uh, 37 when God gave him these dreams and when his brothers sold him into slavery. We can assume that he was a virgin and here he was in a situation. This was an opportunity for him. He could have rationalized this in a million and one ways and have said, I deserve it. Who's going to know? His parents would never know about it because they thought he was dead. His brothers had sold him into slavery. Who was ever going to know? He was in a foreign land. But you know the thing that kept him straight? He says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I can tell you that that's exactly what kept me on course when I went through Vietnam and was the only person who wasn't participating in this stuff. It was because I had a personal relationship with God. This is what kept me anchored to the vision that God had put in my heart about reaching multitudes of people and not giving up during these hard times is because of my personal relationship with God. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, some of you right now, you know that God has more for you than what you're experiencing. You desire more. You may pray for it and look for it, but are you holding faithful? Are you standing there? Is your personal relationship with God strong? Or are you just doing what you can get by with? There's a lot of people, see, that want to be faithful over these big things, but you've never been faithful in little. That's what Luke chapter 16 says. You, you won't be promoted unto much until you're faithful with that which is little. Unless you've served another man and have been faithful to serve him, who's going to commit to you your own things? If you really want to become the CEO of a company, you need to start being the custodian of somebody else's company and, and be the best custodian. You work hard as you get promoted and come up through the ranks. As you've been faithful in these levels, well, then God will send you somebody who will be faithful to you in those levels. You know, in the ministry, I see this, that there's people who want to be a pastor of a thousand-member church, but they won't be a faithful youth director they won't sit there and clean the toilets. They won't clean the church. They won't do these things. They're waiting until they get there in front of, you know, thousands of people and then they're going to be faithful. If you won't be faithful in a smaller thing, you won't be faithful in greater things. You've got to have a personal relationship with God that regardless of whether anybody else is watching you or not, 
You've got to be doing everything that you do. If you're the janitor, do it with all of your heart. If you're the one that's mowing the lawn, do it with all of your heart. If you're the one that's the errand boy, you do it with all of your heart. You do everything the best that you possibly can. And I guarantee you, if you do that, it'll be just like Joseph. Now, Joseph, he remained faithful to God, and instead of him immediately getting the reward, his uh, Potiphar's wife got angry at him. Because he had denied her this sexual relationship, she actually lied about him. Let me, before I get into that, let me just go on and say some other things right here. It says, he, he said in verse 9, How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But she just kept after him. It says in verse 10, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Boy, this shows great integrity on his part. You know, there's a lot of people that they don't want to go out and commit sin, but they will put themselves in a position where they could be compromised. You know, in our ministry, um, you know, I am convinced that I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I love God. I love my wife. We've been married for 42 years at this time. We're going on our 43rd year or excuse me, we're into our 30, 43rd, going on our 44th year of marriage, and I've been faithful this whole time. I make no plans to do anything differently. But did you know what? I don't put myself in situations where I could be pressured or compromised. I'm not going to go into some kind of a situation. I'm not going to allow myself to be tempted. The Bible says to resist the devil, but it also says to flee temptation. A lot of people are trying to resist temptation, but flee from the devil. You can't flee from the devil. You've got to stand and fight him. And likewise, you are not supposed to put yourself in situations where you can be tempted. You need to avoid temptation. Avoid it. Don't put yourself in compromising situations. And so it says in verse... 12, this is Genesis 39, 12. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. And of course, she went, wound up taking this garment and keeping it and saying, See, he came in here and took his garments off and he wanted to have sex with me. And she got mad and accused him. Uh, so I'm not sure that this was wise to flee without the garment. I, he probably should have grabbed his garment and then have fled. But it does show you that Joseph was not tolerating this. He was not giving in to it. I mean, he was willing to leave his coat and just run out of there. He was not going to participate in this sexual sin with his master's wife. Man, what a great attitude. You need to have this same attitude that you are just ready to flee. You know, just last night I watched this movie uh, war room that was put out. And the man that was in this thing, Tony, was depicted as his marriage wasn't going good. And he was with this woman and she was trying to entice him to come to her apartment and have sexual relationship with him. And he got close. He flirted with it. And later he told his wife that he had even, you know, contemplated it and he had thought about doing it. He stopped short. But see, you shouldn't ever put yourself in a situation like that. You shouldn't ever be doing stuff like that. I go out of my way to avoid that. Not only avoid situations that actually put me in a position where I'm tempted, but I even go out of my way to avoid anything that looks like that. There's so many people today that are flirting with sin, 
flirting with things. They watch shows. They entertain thoughts about stuff that you say you would never do. But if you go there in your mind, then you are going to be tempted to go there in your body. You need to have this attitude that Joseph had where, man, you just flee from this. So it says in verse 13, And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the man of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. You know, this was all a total lie. It was all unjust. It was unfair. And did you know if somehow or another you had been in Joseph's position and if you'd been this favored son, this wealthy person and, and all of these awesome things in your life and then you, your brothers had taken all that from you, lied, thrown you in a pit, sold you into slavery, lied to your dad that you were dead, if you had been able to survive that attack, most people would have crumbled under this one because they would have thought, this is totally unjust. If you could withstand one time people just coming against you and doing things, most people just have, you know, a limited amount that they will stand and resist and do what's right when it's costing them something. They won't continue to do it. Most people on this second time, they would have said, what's the use? What, what did my integrity get me? I was in this position, this favored position in my master's house. I had all of this responsibility, all of these things going for me, and my master's wife lied about me. I might as well just give up. But Joseph, he still prospered even when he was sold into slavery and when he was put in prison. He still prospered. Look at the rest of this story. It says, She spake unto him, talking about the master, according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant unto me, that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. Now, the scripture here doesn't mention that Joseph said anything. It might have been a moot point. He might not have had the opportunity to say anything. But just the very fact that it doesn't mention this, I believe, again, speaks to Joseph's integrity. Joseph didn't try and uh, explain himself. He didn't accuse the master's wife. He didn't do any of these things. Joseph was looking to God as his source and not unto people. You know, there's things in my life that, again, God spoke to me when I was 18 years old, put a vision in my heart of me reaching multitudes of people. And in between the time that He gave me that vision and when I'm seeing the fruit of that happen now, you know, I've struggled and I went through times that, man, I pastored churches and, and um, I have been through things when it looks like it was just unfair. You know, I hesitate to mention names. I don't, I'm not going to mention the names. But let me just say that somebody who's one of the largest, best, well-known ministers in the world today, their ministry is much larger than mine. When they actually got started in ministry, they came to me 
and went out to eat with me and asked me how to get started in ministry. They had never been on radio. They had never done that. And I gave them advice and helped them. And then, boom, they just shot past me. <laughs> and I mean, their ministry is much bigger than mine, reaches more people. I just read in their magazine that they reach, I forgot exactly what it was, but it was 4.8 billion people, I think, that they claim that their television program reaches. Mine reaches 3.2 billion. I think that's pretty awesome. But they're bigger, and yet I'm the one that helped give them advice and get them started in some ways. And then they just passed me up like I was going in reverse. And you know what? I see things like that, and it makes you want to say, well, what's the use? And yet I just kept holding on to the Lord. Here's Joseph, and he every time he remained faithful, it seemed like, man, it wasn't working to his advantage. He had been faithful. He didn't try and promote himself. He didn't yell about the injustice of it. He just kept doing what God told him to do. And you know what? I've learned through this. And it's inspired me to just keep doing what God has told me to do. You know, I don't know your exact situation, but it's, the, it's really the same thing with all of us. It's just different, different details, but it's the same principles. I can guarantee you, if you are going to accomplish anything for God, if God has put a dream in your heart, you're going to see other people that will pass you up and you'll sit there and say, well, maybe I should compromise in order to do this. Maybe I should let go of some of my integrity. Did you know if Joseph had have had sexual relationship with the wife, I suspect that that wife would have, uh, you know, even been more favorable towards him, would have recommended him even more to Potiphar. It could have been a stepping stone to even something greater in Potiphar's house. In the natural, just in the natural way of looking at it, what, is, what was his integrity getting him? It had got him to be hated by his brothers and sold into slavery. And then in slavery, he had operated in impeccable integrity and it had got him thrown into prison. Most people would just quit and say, this isn't working. But you've got to maintain that integrity. You know, there was a, a movie, Chariots of Fire, that I saw many, many years ago. I used to run up to six miles a day, and I was a jogger. And because of that, I went to see this movie about Eric Little and Abrams, people that ran in, I forgot what it was, the 1920s Olympics or something like this in, in France. And uh, I, I read about it in a runner's world thing. So Jamie and I went and saw this movie not even knowing that there would be any Christian principles in it. But anyway, Eric Little was scheduled to run this race. He was the favorite to win, but the, the uh, practice or the qualifying round was run on a Sunday. And he would not run on Sunday because that violated his convictions about the Sabbath. Did you know technically, I believe he was wrong. The Sabbath isn't Sunday. The Sabbath is Saturday. It's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday if you want to be technical. And I believe that we've been redeemed from that. We live in a New Testament Sabbath. So technically, I don't believe that Eric Little was correct in those things that he was saying. But it was his conviction. And they tried to talk him out of it. They tried to get him to compromise. They said, do it for the good of England. Do it for the king and all of this. And he wouldn't compromise. And so finally, one of his... Um, fellow Olympians came to him and offered to switch races with him because the qualifying round and the race were not run on Sunday and they got out of this. And anyway, after it was over, after Eric Little had left, uh, one of the 
people there, I think it was the Prince of Wales, uh, said something like, I thought he had beat us. And the other one said, he had beaten us. And then he went on and made this statement, and this just really has ministered to me. He says, you sought to separate this man from the principles that he holds in his life. And that's what makes him great. You tried to just look at his talent as being just a physical thing, but really his physical ability to run and stuff was an extension of his integrity, his principles, his core values that he had on the inside. And when they were saying that, boy, God just spoke to me, and it's, it's exactly the same for all of us. There's some people, see, that have this goal of being a CEO or making so much money or doing this or whatever it is. Or if you're in ministry, you could you know, have a desire to get into ministry and reach all these people. And there's some people that get so goal-oriented that they somehow or another compromise along the way. They compromise their own integrity. They compromise their core convictions, thinking that, well, all that matters is the end results. doesn't matter how you get there. But I'm telling you, God has shown me, and I, I see this in the life of Joseph so clearly that Joseph would not compromise his core convictions, his principles of his life. It didn't matter if every time he took a stand for integrity, it took him lower and he went further away from his goals and just the natural. He was not going to compromise. He was going to stand on what God had spoken to him. And I believe that that is absolutely the way it has to be. You know, in our ministry, I've got a desire. Like I told you, the Lord spoke to me when I was 18 years old and told me that He wanted me to reach millions of people. And I had such a longing to do it. I became impatient. I was looking for shortcuts. But the Lord just kept showing me, don't compromise. Don't change. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but I had people come to me, guarantee me a million dollars. If I just lie and put some things out in the letter, they had raised money for other people and they offered to guarantee me that if I just send out this, their letter to my partners, that they would guarantee me a million dollars. Man, I needed that million dollars. It would have been a blessing. But you know what? By the grace of God, I said, no, I am not going to compromise to get there. And just like that example I was using about Eric Little, if somehow or another they could have got him to compromise and violate, violate his core convictions, it was his in, inner integrity that made him who he was on the outside. It's the same with all of us. It's the same with you. I can guarantee you, if Satan can't keep you from seeking the Lord and serving the Lord, then what he'll try and do is get you to compromise and get there some other way. It's like, you know, when we were kids, we used to play tug-of-war. You'd get a rope and usually across a mud puddle or something like that, you'd have a team over there pulling and then you'd be pulling in this direction. And if it looked like that you were winning, what the other team would do every single time before they fell into the water themselves, they'd let go of the rope so that if they didn't win, at least they were going to have you fall flat on your rear over here. They were going to get you one way or the other. That's kind of the way the devil is. He'll try and pull you and keep you from serving God and tell you not to do it. But if you're determined to serve the Lord, then he'll just let go and try and get you to compromise. He'll even try and help you to get there. As long as you compromise your convictions, as long as you take some shortcut, compromise is a language of the devil. Whatever you compromise to get or to keep, you're going to lose. 
And you know what? I've just made the decision many, many, many times that I'm not going to change my core values. I am not going to compromise. As much as I'm committed to doing things, I'm not going to get there some other way. We have been in this building program for six years. I've spent $50 million. We're now 60% through with our second building, but I just came into a position where if I continue construction, I'm going to have to take out a loan. And I've determined to do this debt-free. And so because of that, I've shut down all construction. And you know, I, I haven't got time to go into it right now, but when you shut down a major construction project like this, you don't just start it back up the next day. It's going to take weeks, months. I was, I was told by my guy that's running the project that it could take 90 days or longer to get some of these people back and to get construction going again. But, and you know what? I've got a bank. A guy who's a friend of mine, a guy who I touched his life when he was a teenager, and he's already extended $10 million to me. He's begging me to take it. He had left to loan me the money and make the interest off of it. But you know what? I'm not going to do it. I could finance the whole thing. We got huge assets. We got, we're in a great financial position. I could compromise. I could get there some other way than the way that I've uh, chosen to be. And I'm not criticizing anybody else who takes that alone. I'm just saying this is my conviction. It's what I believe God has told me to do. And you know what? I'm just not going to do it. And if that building sits there empty, I'll let it sit there empty. But I am not going to violate my core convictions. And I know some of you think, man, you're just kind of rigid. You're kind of uh, non-compromising. Absolutely. I think that there's some things that should never be compromised. And you know what? I believe that that's one reason that God's prospering me. I believe that's the reason that Joseph prospered. He went through some bad times. It looks like him standing for integrity and not compromising cost him. Some people could look at that and say the same thing about me, that you could have had this project done quicker, sooner if you'd have done this and this and this. But you know what? I believe that it was Joseph's integrity and the fact that he would not waver in these things that caused God to promote him and put him in the position that he did. And here we are, 4,000 years later, talking about Joseph because he was a man of integrity and he didn't compromise. Man, that's an example to me. I want to emulate that. And I'm sharing this with you and, and telling you today, don't compromise. You need to get a dream from God. You need to know what God wants you to do. And then you need to head that direction. And I guarantee you along the way, there's going to be some hardships. And it's going to look like that if you stick to your guns and hold on to it and don't compromise, you'll never reach your goal. That may be the way it looks in the natural, but I can guarantee you that that time that you're spending operating in integrity someday is going to be the very thing that catapults you to the place where you see the fruit that you've been desiring come to pass. Don't change. Don't compromise. Don't do things just because you can get by with it. Just because this is what everybody else does. You know what? You need to do what God has told you to do. You know, God told me to give away my tapes and make things available free, and we do. And I had a person, that very famous person, come to me and prophesy that you've done what God told you to do, but now He's telling you to sell everything. You know what? That was pressure on me. I could have used the finances that came from selling everything. And yet I just chose to stick with it even though I respected this person.
You know what? You can't compromise. You can't let somebody else tell you something. You got to do what God has told you to do. And that's just where I'm living. That's the direction I'm going. I'm sticking with it. And you know what? God's blessings are on my life. I've learned that from Joseph. I encourage you to learn this lesson from Joseph. And I promise you, if you stick with it, it's just a matter of time until you see the fruit that God has promised you.